Welcome to another episode of Hidden Perspective. This is Rob Greco. It's good to be back. I do apologize. It's, it's, it's been a while since my last episode. I've recently moved houses and have had all that fun personal admin stuff to attend to. Um, but I am I am optimistic. Things have settled down now. So I do hope to get into a regular once a week episode schedule for you. So fingers crossed. But without further ado, uh, let's get into the episode. So um, last week we had the first uh, first U.S. presidential debate, and uh, if you've heard anything, you've probably heard that it was an absolute disaster. That was a hot mess inside a dumpster fire, inside a train wreck. That was the worst debate I have ever seen. In fact, it wasn't even a debate; it was a disgrace. In reality, you can't deny that it was a total shit show. Let's take a listen. Uh, that's the end of the didn't segment. We're, mov- the we're moving on. He didn't take them. Well, Vice President, very, ex- no. Can ex- I be honest? It's a very important try to question. Be honest. No, I, he I, stood I, up. No, he stood I, up. I, the answer to the question is no. Ukraine. No, I, sir. With a billion sir, dollars, if you don't get rid of the You know what? You're not true. You're doing it. You're going to have true. Gentlemen. I hate to raise my voice, but it seems to be, why should I be different than the two of you? Yeah, you tell him, Chris. You you reprimand those two idiot sons of yours. Oh, boy. No, it was a complete shit show, but did we really expect anything better? I mean, the way I see it, that debate was a reflection of the broader political climate where you get 99% uh, theatrical BS and 1% substantive policy discussion where you can actually learn things and know what you're voting for. Um, I don't know about you, but I didn't really expect Sleepy Joe Biden and Donald Trump to offer an, an impressive contest of intellectual wit and argument. So no surprises here. Very disappointing, but no surprises. In saying this, I am a hypocrite because I'll be spending the rest of the pod dissecting the debate, so fancy that. There are some hidden policy issues that are worthy of picking of the uh, picking apart. Excuse me. So, who's saying what? Who's making credible arguments? Who's full of shit? Let's get into it. Okay, the first issue was Trump's nomination of a new Supreme Court justice. President Trump, you nominated Amy Coney Barrett over the weekend to succeed the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the court. You say the Constitution is clear about your obligation and the Senate's to consider a nominee to the court. Vice President Biden, you say that this is an effort by the president and Republicans to jam through an appointment and what you call an abuse of power. My first question to both of you tonight, why are you right in the argument you make and your opponent wrong? And where do you think a Justice Barrett would take the court? President Trump, in this first segment, you go first, two minutes. Thank you very much, Chris. I will tell you very simply, we won the election. Elections have consequences. We have the Senate. We have the White House. And we have a phenomenal nominee, respected by all, 
top, top academic, uh, good in every way, good in every way. Whereas Biden's is that? Is we should wait. We should wait and see what the outcome of this election is, because that's the only way the American people get to express their view is by who they elect as president and who they elect as vice president. Now, if the nomination goes through, the Supreme Court is now stacked 6-3 in favour of Republican-appointed justices, which, of course, theoretically gives the court a Republican bias in its decisions. Uh, Now, this will piss off Democrats um, who believe key issues will now be decided in Republicans' favour, such as the Affordable Care Act, i.e. Obamacare, which gives health care to millions of Americans, and Roe v. Wade, which is that historic 1973 Supreme Court decision that made it possible for the U.S. states to legalize abortion. Now, to be completely honest, Biden's claim, which left-wing media seems to be amplifying, um, that there'll now be this impenetrable Republican bias on the court is total BS because it assumes that justices always decide cases along party lines. That's just not the case. Since the 1950s, unanimous votes have consistently and significantly outnumbered 5-4 decisions. So if there were political bias, how do you explain so many unanimous votes? Um, Only 20% of the court's cases since 2000 have actually been decided by a close 5-4 vote. That's definitely in the minority. And... In 2018, of the 72 cases heard by the Supreme Court, only 20 were narrowly decided in 5-4 decisions. But for most of those cases, so most of those 20 cases, the conservative majority didn't even vote together. So this hysteria about this impenetrable conservative majority that's going to take hold within the Supreme Court is complete nonsense. Yes, of course, it applies to a certain extent. There's bias that you can't avoid. But judges generally, as we just saw, do a damn good job staying above politics. It's also really insulting to these Supreme Court justices, extremely learned scholars of of the law, uh, if you will, um, that these people will do the bidding of the party who elected them. They... They see themselves as an independent arm of government. If if I know anything about uh, lawyers and people who are going to be judges as someone who finished law school, I do know that they truly believe seeing themselves as independent from the executive branch. So in this issue, Biden is 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 spreading BS. <clears throat> now, from the flip side, uh, Democrats have been um, <clears throat> excuse me. Democrats have been jumping at Trump's nomination, uh, calling hypocrisy because there have been high-standing Republicans like Mitch McConnell, Ted Cruz, and Lindsey Graham, who have previously said that it's bad practice to appoint a justice in an election year. So if a vacancy occurs in their last year of their first term, guess what? You will use their words against them. I want you to use my words against me. Now... Yes, of course, uh, point taken, they are hypocrites. But what's new? It's a classic case of politicians claiming a principle when it suits them, ignoring it when it doesn't. You know, we'd all hope this doesn't happen, but this is politics. And don't forget, this hypocrisy does run both ways. In 2016, uh, obviously an election year, 
Obama tried to do the exact same thing. He, in fact, did nominate uh, Merrick Garland in the wake of Justice Scalia's passing, uh, but he just simply didn't have a Senate majority to get that nomination approved. So don't pretend that Democrats wouldn't have done the same thing. Second issue was healthcare. You, in the course of these four years, have never come up with a comprehensive plan to replace Obamacare. And just this last Thursday, you signed a largely symbolic executive order to protect people with pre-existing conditions five days before this debate. So my question, sir, is what is the Trump health care plan? Well, first of all, I guess I'm debating you, not him, but that's okay. I'm not surprised. Let me just tell you something that (laughs) there's nothing symbolic. I'm cutting drug prices. I'm going with favored nations, which no president has the courage to do because you're going against big pharma. Drug prices will be coming down 80 or 90 percent. Trump's basically thinks he's God and that his executive orders will reduce drug prices, reducing Medicaid costs and insurance premiums, whereas Biden wants to expand Obamacare. It's only for those people who are so poor they qualify for Medicaid. They can get that free in most states, except governors who want to deny people who are poor Medicaid. Anyone who qualifies for Medicare would excuse me, Medicaid would automatically be enrolled in the public option. Now, U.S. healthcare is an extremely complicated topic that I'll need to dedicate a whole episode to. Just a brief summary here. Nobody in America thinks the system is working. Everybody thinks it's broken. America does not have universal healthcare, which is pretty widely known even though the American taxpayer actually spends more per capita on healthcare than countries which do have universal healthcare. Crazy fact. Now, one of the reasons for this is that uh, healthcare costs in America um, have been going up exponentially. US spending on drug prices, for example, has increased 42% since 2010, uh, which has strongly outstripped inflation over that same period. So no matter your political views, healthcare really pisses you off. So Trump's approach basically relies on his executive orders to do drug uh, to reduce drug prices. Uh, the first of his executive orders uh, would make drug manufacturers send rebates to Medicare instead of pharmacies or healthcare plans. His second order hopes to make insulin and epinephrine available at a low cost. Uh, his third one would allow people to import drugs from countries where they're cheaper, for example, Canada. Um, and his fourth and most recent executive order was meant to protect people with uh, pre-existing conditions. So the hope from Trump's point of view is that drug prices will drop enough so Medicare costs fall, insurance costs fall, and uninsured Americans uh, can now afford to buy insurance. Um Will this actually happen? I mean, who knows? Uh, policy analyst Vic Roy believes that this orders, these orders may have some effect, um, but the extent of the price reduction is purely guesswork at this point. Um, a second part of Trump's healthcare policy is to strike down Obamacare in the courts. Now, on the flip side, Biden's approach is to bolster Obamacare. Uh, of course, it's something that he... Um, he helped to uh, create, um, and he wants to expand it to uh, ensure more than 97% of Americans. Uh, that would be up from the 91.5% of non-elderly Americans who are currently insured. 
His plan adds a public option, which offers an alternative insurance option for small businesses and people who don't have coverage or don't like the coverage that they're getting from their employer. Um, This public option would also automatically enroll the uninsured Americans living in 14 U.S. states that have not expanded Medicaid, which covers low-income people under Obamacare. Now, it is expensive. It costs $750 billion over 10 years, and the hope is that this would be financed through tax hikes. All right, let's be real here. Trump's done close to nothing on healthcare. It's it's as if he's a little kid who's um, reached the, the end of his first term and said, shit, I didn't do anything about healthcare. Let's write something on my desk uh, as an executive order, hope it has some effect, and say to people how, how much of a crusader on healthcare reform I've been. He's done nothing, nothing of the sort. The the one executive order that might have effect is allowing allowing the importation of drugs from other countries. That could have some effect um, based on some of the research that I've done. But the idea that Trump has this comprehensive plan to replace the Affordable Care Act if it does get struck down in the courts is just complete nonsense. So on this issue, at least Biden has a plan. It's more expensive, but it will bolster Obamacare to provide insurance to more Americans. That's that's the hot take. Let's move on to the next issue. We have had more than 7 million cases of coronavirus in the United States and more than 200,000 people have died. Why should the American people trust you more than your opponent to deal with this public health crisis going forward? Now, I really don't want to get too deep into this. Um, basically, Trump's argument is that he acted early with the border closure. Biden wouldn't have closed the border uh, this early out of fear of xenophobia, uh, whereas Biden's claim is that Trump's incompetence in handling the pandemic has killed 200,000 people and rising, and he would only reopen the economy once the virus is contained. Uh, we've spoken a lot about uh, the coronavirus pandemic on this podcast. I don't really want to get too much into it. But I also think it's a meaningless debate topic for two presidents. Um, firstly, because the pandemic is going to look much different once Biden or Trump gets reelected, uh, that the policies that they have now are meaningless. Uh, nobody knows anything about when a vaccine would be approved. Nobody knows anything about exactly what Biden would have done. And the fact that states bear much more responsibility than the federal government has to mean something. So we shouldn't be attributing all responsibility to the president. Next issue. The economy is, I think it's fair to say, recovering faster than expected from the shutdown. Much faster. In the second quarter, the unemployment rate fell to 8.4% last month. The Federal Reserve says the hit to, to growth, which is going to be there, is not going to be nearly as big as they had expected. President Trump, you say we are in a V-shaped recovery. Uh, Vice President Biden, you say it's more of a K-shape. What difference does that mean to the American people in terms of the economy? So Trump's plan is first to be against lockdowns. You got to open these states up. It's not fair. You're talking about almost it's like being in prison. And you look at what's going on with divorce. Look at what's going on with alcoholism and drugs. It's a very, very sad thing. And second, uh, to maintain his trade war, tax cuts and deregulation agenda. 
Whereas Biden's plan is, uh, first off, to be in favor of slower reopens to stimulate economic growth. You can't fix the economy until you fix the COVID crisis. And secondly, it's to be in favor of increased government spending and taxes. Mr. Vice President, your economic plan, if you were to be elected president, uh, focuses a lot on big government, big taxes, big spending. I want to focus first on the taxes. You propose more than $4 trillion over a decade in new taxes on individuals making more than $400,000 a year and on corporations. President Trump says that that kind of an increase in taxes is going to hurt the economy as it's just coming out of a recession. Well, just take a look at what uh, the the analysis has been done by Wall Street firms. points out that my, my economic plan would create seven million more jobs than his in four years, number one. And number two, it would create an additional $1 trillion in economic growth because it would be about buying American, that we have to, we're going to make this federal government spend $600 billion a year on everything from ships to steel to buildings and the like. And under my proposal, we're going to make sure that every penny of that has to be made by a company. But, but respectfully, in sir, I'm talking about taxes, not spending. Oh, well, by the way, I'm going to eliminate a significant number of the tax. I'm going to make the 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 corporate tax 28 percent. It shouldn't be 21 percent. I think the first thing off the rank is we need to stop framing someone like Trump as a free trader. We always fall into these simplistic binary mental models of you know, Republican free trader, uh, Democrat, big government spender. It's often very misleading and, and, and obscures the truth. There's nothing free trade about a guy who wages the biggest trade war in US history, as you would have heard here first on Hidden Perspective. Uh, there's nothing free trade about Trump who's racked up historically the highest public debt to GDP ratio in modern US history. Even before the pandemic, it was at 107% debt-to-GDP ratio, whereas now, with the pandemic, it's at 136%, and it's probably just likely to increase. I mean, sure, he does have some tax cuts and some deregulation measures, but he's no out-and-out free trader. Second problem is, on the Biden side of the aisle, sure, he has a big government plan, but let's not fall into this trap of looking at job creation figures. I don't know why we keep doing this. Nobody can predict the future. Uh, If COVID has taught us anything, it's that. Um, So the fact that Biden's jobs will create 1 million more jobs than Trump's is total nonsense. Prakash Longani at the IMF has actually analyzed the accuracy of forecasters um, in the economics profession and has found, I quote, the record of failure to predict recessions is virtually unblemished. So if you can't predict that something will go wrong, how can you predict? How can you offer a meaningful forecast of the number of jobs that will be created? Total BS. And I think just the last thing, which is the most important, in my opinion, uh, to come from this economic debate, is what we didn't discuss, which is that the government response to the pandemic, not only in the US, but also around the world, has disproportionately benefited the rich and posed massive inflation risk on everyone else. What am I talking about? Well, take the US. The US federal government gave $500 billion in bailouts to large corporations, the very corporations who are able to weather the storm. The Fed has also increased the money supply by 20% just since the end of 2019. And 
you know, all of this just doesn't get spoken about. This is the primary economic issue facing America and the developed world. Um, and yet, not a peep out of Trump, not a peep out of Chris Wallace. And Biden only tepidly mentioned it when he said that rich people are doing well, but he didn't really get into the substance because he knows that when he goes into power, he'll do the exact same thing. So, total sham. I can't believe they didn't discuss it, but that's, um, that's, a, that's a symptom of pathetic media class that, we, uh, that we've been given. Next issue. Is why should voters trust you rather than your opponent to deal with the race issues facing this country over the next four years? On the topic of race, Trump makes positive claims about his record, claims he has the lowest black unemployment in modern history. And he also passed the First Step Act, which caused thousands of people to be released from prison. This is in contrast to Biden's 1994 crime bill, which many people believe has contributed to U.S. mass incarceration. Whereas Biden's approach, in contrast, is uh, first to criticize Trump for his handling of things like Charlottesville and the George Floyd protests and COVID, which has disproportionately affected black Americans. And second, he proposes some vague White House meetup between police officers and activists and everyone involved to address policing issues. And what I'm going to do as president of the United States is call a, a, together an entire group of people at the White House, well, everything from the civil rights groups to the police officers, to the police chiefs, and we're going to work this out. We're going to work this out. So we change the way in which we have more transparency in when these things happen. Now, on this first issue, to be completely honest, Trump has a much stronger record. The first step back is significant criminal justice reform that has been widely praised. Um, he does have the lowest black unemployment in modern history. That's something you can't deny. Yes, of course, Trump's sloppy with his words and the way he handles things like Charlottesville and George Floyd protests. But I just, the way I see it, look at his policy and what's actually meaningfully happened in the States. Um, Biden looks exposed here, especially because of his uh, 1994 crime bill. That's um, something he he can't avoid. Now, the next issue on the issue of race is Trump's scrapping of racial sensitivity training that addresses white privilege and critical race theory. So Trump claimed that... I ended it because it's racist. I ended it because a lot of people were complaining that they were asked to do things that were absolutely insane, that it was a radical... A revolution that was taking place in our military, uh, in our schools, all over the place. And you know it, and so does what, everybody what, what else. Radical, and he would know. What is oh, radical totally about racist. racial sensitivity training? Sir. If you were a certain person, you had no status in life. It was sort of a reversal. And if you look at the people, we were paying people hundreds of thousands of dollars to teach very bad ideas and, frankly, very sick ideas and, and really, they were teaching people to hate our country. Whereas Biden denies this and claims that it's about... People have to be made aware of what other people feel like, what, what insults them, what is demeaning to them. It's important that people know they don't want to. Many people don't want to hurt other people's feelings, but it's, it makes a big difference. 
It makes a gigantic difference in the way a child is able to grow up and have a, self, a sense of self-esteem. It's a little bit like how this guy and, and his friends look down on so many people. They look down their nose on people like Irish Catholics like me and grew up in Scranton. They look down on people who don't have money. They look down on people who are of a different faith. They look down on people who are a different color. So what the hell are we talking about? Critical race theory is, as Angela Davis put it in her foreword to critical race theory and introduction, quote, unlike traditional civil rights discourse, which stresses incrementalism and step-by-step progress, critical race theory questions the very foundations of the liberal order, including equality theory, legal reasoning, enlightenment rationalism, and neutral principles of constitutional law. Now, there are some modern proponents of this theory uh, who you may have, may have heard um, doing the rounds. One of them is Ibran X. Kendi, who claims that you are a racist if you don't believe all disparities between the races are attributed to racist power structures. And Robin D'Angelo, um, who published White Fragility, who claims that white people are unavoidably racist. That's right unavoidably racist because of the ways they've been socialized into white supremacist countries. Now, ask yourself, actually, no, I want to turn this question to Biden. Does this really sound like something that makes people aware of others' feelings? Or potentially, is this about something else? Firstly, how can you teach something that, one, claims that more than half of the country's population, i.e. white people, are racist, when the only thing you know about them is their skin colour? Something that claims that America is inherently and irredeemably evil and racist, and then expect those same people, the taxpayer, to fund that program? And, you know, Biden's own remarks about this stuff as how he was treated as an Irish Catholic boy shows that he doesn't know what this stuff is about. Biden, where have you been, man? This ideology doesn't care that Irish Catholics were discriminated in the past. You're white, therefore you're the oppressor. It has no regard for your individual experience as a white person that there could have been some form of uh, racism that you encountered. It doesn't care about that. This is a totally, this isn't about your feelings, Joe. Is This is about a, a radical reconceptualization of the power structure and of the system that we live in. It's not about your feelings. So I think Trump's right to scrap this. I don't think the taxpayer should be expected to fund something like this, something that's um, so, self-hate, so self-hating. And, and ultimately, this is an issue that we can talk about, but it shouldn't be accepted as gospel and taught in taxpayer-funded government agencies. Now, on the flip side, I think Trump's response to this is uh, is equally as crazy. So he says he'll implement a patriotic education that teaches the real history, which just shows that he misses the whole point of his argument, which is that government agencies shouldn't be involved in shoving any of these ideologies down people's throat, whether it's pro-American, exceptionalism, or critical race theory. Um, and just another point, it's, it is an example of how, you know, people criticize political correctness because it pushes people to the right. And I think here, this is an example of that inaction. So, you know, if critical race theory weren't shoved down people's throats in government agencies, 
then we wouldn't have this American first exceptionalism and this uh, like this this whitewashing of history that's now that that is the very thing that Trump's now proposing to put in its place. So yeah, this I, I think this stuff is crazy. It has no place in in government agencies and. Trump's right, but his response is equally as problematic. Next issue is law and order. The issue of protests in many cities that have turned violent. In Portland, Oregon especially, we had more than 100 straight days of protests, which I think you would agree, you talk about peaceful protests, many of those turned into riots. Trump argues that his sending in of the feds has contained the riots across the U.S., If they called us in Portland, we would put out that fire in a half an hour, but they won't do it because they're run by radical left Democrats. If you look at Chicago, if you look at any place you want to look, Seattle, they heard we were coming in the following day and they put up their hands and we got back Seattle. Minneapolis, we got it back, Joe. Biden claims that. I've made it clear in my public statements that the violence should be prosecuted. Now, at this point of the debate, Both candidates are pressed to condemn political groups causing the violence. For Trump, it's white supremacists. You have repeatedly criticized the the vice president for not specifically calling out Antifa and other left-wing extremist groups. But are you willing tonight to condemn white supremacists and militia groups and to say that they need to stand down and not add to the violence in a number of these cities, as we saw in Kenosha and as we've seen in Portland. Sure, Are you I'm prepared to, to do specifically that, do it? Well, I, go would ahead, say, I would say almost everything I see is from the left wing, not from the right so wing. So what, what, what are you saying? I'm, I'm willing to do anything. I want to see well, peace. Then do it, sir. Say I'm, it. Do it. Say it. Do you want to call them? What do you want to call them? Give me a name. Give me a white name. White supremacists and right boys. Like white supremacists and right boys. Stand back and stand by. But I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, somebody's got to do something about Antifa and the left, because this is not a right wing problem. This is a left wing. This is a left wing problem. White supremacist. Antifa is an idea, not an organization. Oh, you got it. Not malicious. That's what his FBI his okay. FBI director Gentlemen, said. Well, then, gonna, you know what? No, no, then we're, done, we're done, sir. And then in that last part there, Biden calls Antifa an idea, potentially passing up on the opportunity to condemn some of the people who have been causing riots in places like Portland or Summer. Now, the media seizes on this. It claims Trump's clearly failed to condemn white supremacy and the implication being he himself is a white supremacist. But... To be completely honest, all of this stuff is maddening, whether it comes from left-wing media or white-wing media, right-wing media. It's, uh, you know, as you just heard in that clip, it, Trump says three different things in the, probably the space of 20 seconds. His first part is, sure, sure, I'd be willing to do that, about three times, saying he'd condemn white supremacists. Then he does this weird thing of saying, stand back, okay, that's good, and then stand by, don't really know what that means. And then he suggests that Proud Boys should take care of Antifa or someone should take care of Antifa. Now, this whole exchange is contradictory. There's no other way to interpret it. So if if there are contradictory things being said, how can you isolate on only one of the parts of that exchange and say that that's unambiguous evidence that Trump is a white supremacist, as the media is doing here. Um, I don't know about you, but there are a few other 
potentially more plausible interpretation, uh, the first being that Trump simply misspoke. The guy's infamous for contradicting himself in the same sentence multiple times. He simply doesn't know what he thinks. Another interpretation is that he's such an openly greasy politician that he thinks he'll win votes by condemning white supremacists and then two seconds later energizing a, a group called Proud Boys. And don't pretend that Biden doesn't do the exact same thing. He calls for peace and says the only thing you should be doing is peaceful protesting and then refuses to admit that Antifa has been causing mayhem in Portland all summer long. So it happens It happens both ways. Um, and, you know, yeah, it's, it's equally as frustrating when right-wing media pretends that Biden is an enabler of riots because he's he's got Antifa, um, he's doing the bidding of Antifa when he clearly also doesn't want riots to take place. So it's it's the whole charade is nauseating. You know, it's just the media creating this substance-less headline. Um, and by doing what it does here, it, it fails the media and Biden and the left. They fail to pin Trump for his record on race. Why not bring up substantive issues like the fact that the U.S.'s intake of refugees this year is the lowest since 1980 or the fact that the Muslim ban is still in effect? These are real-world policies that are causing real harm to people. But instead, you go for this the highest bar to prove that he's a self-avowed white supremacist. And then you look like a fool when Trump and other people who are criticizing you can point to instances where he has condemned white supremacy. So the whole, the whole exchange is nauseating. Um, one final thing that it misses, which is hilarious, which is the fact that the Proud Boys chairman, who funnily enough is not white, came out and said that the Proud Boys condemn white supremacy in much more unequivocal language than Trump. So we've made a mountain out of a molehill. Um, this whole thing is just idiotic. Uh, let's move on to the second last issue, which was the environment. So Trump reiterates his environmental policy is about... I want crystal clean water and air. I want beautiful, clean air. He admits humans might be contributing to climate change. Very exciting. You believe that, that human pollution, gas, greenhouse gas emissions contributes to the global warming of the planet? I think planet? a lot of things do, but I think to an extent, yes. I think to an extent, yes. But, I- but he stands by leaving the Paris Climate Accord and rolling back Obama-era environmental policy, which he cites as the reason for higher energy prices, to be honest, Trump's only real climate policy here is planting a billion trees. Whereas Biden's plan is much more aggressive. And you propose $2 trillion in green jobs. You talk about new limits, not abolishing, but new limits on fracking, ending the use of fossil fuels to generate electricity by 2035, and zero net emission of greenhouse gases by 2050. Biden later makes this contradictory claim that he's both in favor and against the Green New Deal. Green New Deal will pay for itself as we move forward. We're not going to build plants that, in fact, are great polluting plants. Do you support build the re- Green New Deal? P- pardon me? Do you support that? No, I don't support the Green oh, New Deal. Oh, you don't? Oh, well, that- oh, boy. There is a lot to sift through here. 
Environmental policy is one of those one of those issues that I'll just simply need to spend a whole episode to properly flesh it out. For now, Trump clearly isn't in favor of taking action on climate change. He converted the EPA into a rubber stamping machine for industrial activity that's harmful to the environment. Just at least be upfront about what you're doing there, Trump boy. You'd much rather take a hands-off approach in allowing the economy to thrive and people to use these cost savings to you know, purchase and invest in newer technology that is better for the environment. It's got to be upfront about what you're actually doing there, Trump. Whereas uh, Biden has a much more aggressive plan to tackle climate change. He, um, he needs to stop lying about whether he supports the Green New Deal from his campaign website. It states, I quote, Biden believes the Green New Deal is a crucial framework for meeting the climate challenges we face. It's clear he does support the Green New Deal. But even if he has a slight variation on that, which he calls the Biden Green New Deal or something like that, just be upfront about the cost of your plan, reiterating that you still believe it's a positive investment in the economy when considering the economic cost of inaction. Um, that's something that he only tepidly did during the debate. Um, but he, sh- I think he should be just much more upfront and try to get everyone out of this simplistic mental model that there's a trade-off between cost and the environment. It does exist to a certain extent, but there is future economic cost that environmental inaction will impose on the economy that we also need to factor into our discussion of environmental issues. So that's the environment. Now, the final issue was the potential for mail-in ballots to result in election fraud. Now, Trump's view here is that... As far as the ballots are concerned, it's a disaster. A solicited ballot, okay, solicited is okay. You're soliciting, you're asking, they send it back, you send it back. I did that. If you have an unsolicited, they're sending millions of ballots all over the country. There's fraud. They found them in creeks. They found some with the name Trump, just happened to have the name Trump just the other day in a waste paper basket. They're being sent all over the place. They sent two in a Democrat area. They sent out a thousand ballots. Everybody got two ballots. This is going to be a fraud like you've never seen. Whereas Biden takes the view that his own Homeland Security director and as well as the FBI director says there is no evidence at all that mail-in ballots are a source of, of being manipulated and cheating. They said that. All right. So what do we really make of this? I've got a few points because this is actually an issue that's really bugging me. This is, I think, um, a potentially uh, an example of media incompetence um, it, on display. Uh, Point number one, even though the US has experience with mail-in ballots, for uh, for example, that's the way it collects votes from people in the army, it doesn't have experience dealing with the sheer volume that the system is going to encounter this election. At least three quarters of the American population is eligible for mail-in ballots this year. This is the largest in US history. So, the left's claims of there's no evidence of fraud doesn't really make sense because this is the first time something of this magnitude has been tried. How can you claim no evidence when you have a sample size of zero? This is this is new territory. And as I've said before, uh, as regular listeners of the podcast will be familiar with, 
the Nassim Taleb line, which is absence of evidence doesn't mean evidence of absence. People really need to understand that. It's a crucial point. I think the second point here is just just media deception. Even in the articles citing no evidence of voter fraud, those same articles go on to cite examples of fraud. It's it's infuriating. There's one BBC article titled US Election Do Postal Ballots Lead to Voting Fraud. Now, it writes in the opening line, President Trump has criticized plans to expand postal voting in November's presidential election, claiming there's widespread fraud involved. But Alan Weintraub, commissioner of the Federal Election Commission, has said there's simply no basis for the conspiracy theory that voting by mail causes fraud. Literally, a few paragraphs later, in the same article, the same BBC article, there have been isolated cases of postal ballot fraud, such as in the 2018 North Carolina primary which was rerun after a consultant for the Republican candidate tampered with voting papers. There were there was also a case earlier this year in New Jersey which saw two Democratic councillors charged with alleged fraud in relation to postal voting after hundreds of ballots were found stuffed in a post box. I mean, this is why people get so frustrated with the incompetence of mainstream media. You literally start by saying voter fraud is a conspiracy, um, citing some uh, alleged expert, and then simply a few paragraphs later, you write about evidence of voter fraud. How dumb do you think people are? Admittedly, the article then goes on to say voting fraud is very low, a quote, but the rate of voting fraud overall in the US is between point. At 0.00004% and 0.0009%, according to a 2017 study by the Brennan Center for Justice. Yeah, but if you have an ounce of critical thinking, maybe that's because mail-in voting isn't typically a big deal in the US election. For example, simple research finds that the 2016 mail-in balance only constituted 5.9% of all votes. If you increase that from 5.9% to 75%, as we might expect in the 2020 election, doesn't that increase the chance of fraud because you have more of those that form of voting taking place? I don't know. This isn't a crazy point, a crazy intellectual point. It's just some simple critical thinking leads you to that conclusion. And I think that's broadly what Trump is saying. Um, I kind of disagree with Trump. He's he's almost making it out as if there'll automatically be widespread fraud and no matter the result, or, or obviously if the, if the if the vote sways in favor of Biden, that he, he's going to claim um, election fraud. I think that's, that is greasy, admittedly. But we should keep an open mind to this. What happened to a healthy sense of skepticism, uh, which the media is meant to be, the responsibility the media is meant to be charged with, um, but then they just spout the uh, just idiotic things where they contradict their opening line within their own article. They they aren't even trying to hide their deception anymore. So as you can probably tell from the tone of my voice, this has really been pissing me off. To recap, no... I don't agree with either Trump or Biden. I don't I don't agree with Biden that we should pretend that the system is foolproof. We have a completely different set of circumstances. There has been evidence, admittedly 
a low incidence of that, suggesting voter fraud in the past. Now we have a fundamentally different type of election. Um, At the same time, I don't agree that it's automatically going to result in widespread election fraud that's going to corrupt the election um, either way, as, as Trump seems to be suggesting. I'm simply asking for a reasonable, nuanced, uh, approach to the issue and that's something that no one is dishing out so with that in mind that's where i'm going to wrap up today's episode i hope you got value out of it thanks for listening i think they're all insane if you got value from this episode please do me a quick favor first hit subscribe and second leave a five-star review if you're podcasting or hit the like button and the notification bell if you're youtubing There. Too easy. See you next time.